This episode of Fearless Rebel Radio is brought to you by You On Fire. You On Fire is the amazing 12-week online group coaching program that I run where we build up your worth from the ground up so that it's no longer hinging on the way that you look. It's got personalized coaching from me and incredible community support plus lifetime access. Get details on what's included in this program and sign up to be notified when doors open for the next cycle by going to summerinandin.com forward slash you on fire. I would love to have you in that program and in that group. This is Fearless Rebel Radio, a podcast about body positivity, self-worth, anti-dieting, and feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 149, and I am interviewing Kyla Tova, creator of the Your Body, Your Brand podcast about why so many women are dropping out of the workforce to become coaches, why women's bodies are their brands, and why feminism is broken, plus so much more. You can find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode at summerinandin.com forward slash 149. Before we begin, I just want to say a big thank you and shout out to Lux24 who left this review. I have been following Summer's work for a couple of years now. Her book, Body Image Remix, helped me tremendously in my journey to let go of both body image and food drama and to have a healthier relationship with food. I am now 100% body positive and I'm so happy about it. These messages need to be spread and I'm so thankful there are women like Summer doing that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lex24. You can leave a lovely review like this one by going to iTunes and selecting ratings and reviews and then click to leave a review or give it a rating. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to do that. It's what keeps this podcast going and keeps it on the air. So if you haven't already done so, take a second to leave a review for the show and definitely subscribe. And you can do that without using whatever platform you use to listen, whether it's Spotify or iTunes or YouTube. Second, you can get the free 10-day body confidence makeover at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. Today's guest is Kyla Tova. Kyla Tova is a multifaceted, multi-passionate explorer of culture, performance, body image, and marketing. After recovering from orthorexia, anorexia, and an exercise addiction, Kyla began a career in marketing while moonlighting as a body image coach for women recovering from eating disorders and disordered eating. She is now a speaker on and writer of unpopular opinions about media literacy and marketing psychology and behavioral slash identity economics in the context of body image. In her quote unquote spare time, she is an award-winning burlesque and drag performer based in Madison, Wisconsin. You can find everything about uh, Kyla's podcast, Your Body, Your Brand, and Kyla at www.bodybrandpod.com. I'm so excited to have Kyla on the show. We did the interview for Your Body, Your Brand um, over two years ago now when she interviewed me. I'm featured in a couple of the episodes. And so I've probably changed a lot since that initial conversation that we had. But she spent a lot of time working on this podcast and it's really great. I've listened to the first few episodes and they're awesome. So I highly recommend it if you're looking for another podcast to add to your repertoire. And I think you'll be inspired to listen to it once you hear today's episode. 
let's get started. Welcome, Kyla Tova, to the show. How are you doing? I am fabulous. How are you? Good. We've been friends for a few years now, and that started when we were both in the paleo community, which we both defected from a while ago. <laughs> but the last <laughs> time you were on the show was episode 73, which listeners can go back and listen to in the archives. And you were talking about discovery, not recovery. And today you're here to talk about a new project kind of new, but one that you've been working on as a labor of love for a long time called Your Body, Your Brand. And I'm really excited to talk to you about it. Yeah, it is. Life has changed a lot, actually, since the last time we spoke, um, just in terms of uh, career, not even just in terms of everything else. But yeah, Your Body, Your Brand has been a two and a half year project that started probably just around the time that we last spoke. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's so interesting because this morning, uh, the first thing I saw on my Facebook feed was an ad for a T-shirt that said, brains are the new tits. And it was like supposedly a feminist t-shirt. And I, I found it, well, first of all, it triggered my gag reflex. And then second of all, I was like, well, this is very symbolic of the conversation that we're going to have. <laughs> it's so perfect. Yeah. Um, huh. Yeah, it's so funny because um, when I see stuff like that now, so I'm, I'm actually uh, going back to school to start a PhD based on the research that I've done as a layperson for this podcast. So I'm just, I'm collecting stuff like that. So if you happen to have a screenshot, please send it over. Oh, I'll take one <laughs> next time for you. No, I, oh, I should have. I, I, I wonder if it'll come back because I, I did stop on it because I, I had to read it twice. I was like, oh, oh. And my brain was just processing, like the gag reflex was there. And then my brain was processing like, what, what is so wrong with this? But it was just, everything was so wrong with it. <laughs> everything. Well, feminism is broken. So, uh, you know, we could start there. Yeah. Why don't you, why don't you talk about that? So just to give you, uh, your listeners a little bit of a backstory kind of on what this whole project is and why I care about it and why maybe, yes. maybe up might care as well. I'm not going to say you should too, but I, I hope people do. So if you go back and listen to the last couple of episodes that we've done together, you know, I was a health coach. I was, I started out, as you mentioned, in the paleo world, and I was talking about eating disorder recovery through a paleo lens, which is <coughs> bullshit. And then uh, <laughs> I quickly figured that out um, and really spent a lot of time re-educating myself about what was so wrong about my worldview in terms of how I viewed health, fitness, um, and what a, a quote-unquote good body is, right? I did a deep dive into intersectional feminism and really, really, really asked for people to challenge my worldview, and I got deeply involved in health at every size and fat acceptance, et cetera, right? So, but I was still coaching and losing thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to the point where I have no life savings left. And I got really disillusioned. I had a, I was also working in a job at the same time that was killing me. And I had a nervous breakdown and I realized, you know, th this is, it, I got to fix something. Everything is broken. <laughs> and not only am I not making money in my quote unquote real job, I mean, I was making enough money. I live in the Bay area. So enough money is never enough. And but at the same time, I wasn't making any money doing my quote unquote passion project and my passion project was slowly killing me. So I figured, OK, I'm going to do like this quick, like eight episode interview podcast about why 
we want to turn our bodies into our brands and like how marketing rhetoric can be manipulative and like all of these things, right? Things that that people talk about on your podcast all the time, you know, marketing of body image is bad. We know this. It's just, it's easy to manipulate and it's easy to pull on cultural rhetoric to get people to buy stuff that they don't necessarily need, um, including a worldview that they don't necessarily need. And that slowly spiraled because the the more conversations that I had, the more I realized that everyone was having the same conversation without realizing that they were having it. And I said, okay, I need to put these voices into conversation with one another. So two and a half years, 40 hours of recorded interviews and uh, 15 episodes later, I have a uh, documentary about what happens when women try to monetize their bodies. And I say women, that is an umbrella category. Um, Anyone who is identifying as female goes under that umbrella. So I do feature uh, women of color, uh, fat women, thin women, white women, trans people, uh, non-binary people on the podcast. Like it's, it's never gonna, gonna, you know, cover the full range of experiences, but I did my best to try to understand what it means when we look at where we stand in the world, how we are valued and how we value ourselves. And so that is kind of what this podcast is. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wa- I would love you to elaborate a little bit more on when you say that people's bodies are specifically, you know, women identifying bodies have have been their brands or have always been their brands. You know, I think most people can kind of see that happening a lot with social media, but Oh yeah. You know what, you know, why, why does that happen? I guess. (laughs) And, um, you know, what, what did, what did you notice when you had all these conversations about that, about that? Well, so, you know, and like I said, this is a, a, you know, a 15 hour podcast essentially. Um, so I won't be able to go too deep into it, but just, I mean, when we think about it, right up until modern history, up until feminism, right, women's rights and then feminism, women were primarily traded, <laughs> right? They were, their value was traded. Whether, whether you're a prostitute or a princess, your value is predicated on, you know, your body's worth, right? Um, whether it was your profession or whether it was your dowry. And even up until fairly recent times, women have used their bodies, especially in a heterosexual context, right, to to get the things that that money can buy, right? If they were not selling their bodies, literally, then they were selling their bodies for food and shelter and care and, you know, material things as well in in a not in an explicit way, but that's just kind of in a patriarchal context, what the female body has always signified, right? So then we get into this modern era where women, again, female identifying people, right, are suddenly we're liberated, we're, we're doing work, we're providing value for ourselves, we're doing knowledge work, we're doing manual labor that isn't necessarily tied to the body. But at the same time, we still have this cultural context that is built into all of our our interactions, if you will. And so now we have to recontextualize how our, like where our worth is when we're still struggling to get paid the same amount as somebody who is male, right? Or somebody who has, right? So, so what happens is, you know, and, and I interviewed so many incredible experts. Um, there's an interview I did with Andy Zeisler, who is the uh, editor uh, and founder, uh, co-founder of uh, Bitch Magazine. 
she's absolutely brilliant. And one of the things that she said is, you know, after women got to this place of being able to to be in the workplace in the 80s and stuff, and again, especially this is, you know, white, thin, heterosexual, privileged women, right? Then they said, okay, well, I, I have it all. Now I have to work on me. Why? Right? Well, it's because our bodies have always symbolically been this primary locus of value. And now once we have, quote unquote, achieved everything, even if we can't get any further, there's nowhere else for us to go except back to the body. So that's that's part of it. (laughs) Um, And I think a, a lot of what this podcast is specifically looking at this season, I'm focusing mostly on women in corporate work. I'm also focusing on women in healthcare, but I'm not looking necessarily at Um, underprivileged women, women like domestic workers, things like that. That's a whole other category. And I'm hoping to bring that into the conversation in season two or three. But when we look at what happens when we're in the workplace, I don't know about you, but I know that when I was in the workplace, whenever I got to the place where I was hitting a wall or a glass ceiling, because I've done both of those things, um, (laughs) I immediately turned to my body because it was the one thing I could change. In my last corporate job, and this was recent, uh, 2017, right when I started this podcast, my last corporate job, I was basically, this was the third job where I had uh, male coworkers essentially tell me that I was worthless. Um, It was the third job in a row. Third job in a row. Um, In 2016, I was in a job where a bunch of male coworkers were hired onto my team and started treating me like a direct report, even though we were at the same level. They would like leave me out of meetings um, and then just give me the notes and tell me what to do because they didn't like that I was forceful and had opinions. So yeah, so I quit that job and I took a job in journalism. And then at that job, my boss threw me and my female co-managing content manager under the bus because he was doing a poor job of advertising and he was blaming us for not producing enough content, even though we'd built this like giant content machine and we're producing like, I don't know, 12 articles a week or something like that. You know, so he threw us under the bus to corporate management and there was a whole bunch of other mismanagement where he basically just like he hated us, didn't want us to succeed and he didn't want to be in trouble for being bad at his job. So I quit that job and got a third job where my the CMO, the uh, chief marketing officer, used to rewrite every word that I wrote because it wasn't good enough. And then my my manager, my manager would tell me it doesn't matter. No one's going to read it anyway. So (laughs) those are all pretty brutal experiences. Yeah. And so, you know what I started doing? I started doing yoga every day. I started doing yoga at lunchtime. and It was the only way that I stayed sane. And all of a sudden I found myself looking up, you know, maybe are there any like yoga teacher trainings in the area? Can I actually afford to go do core core power or whatever? And I, you know, and I had to stop myself and say, you know, I've been down this road before. I tried becoming a personal trainer when I was in in an abusive relationship. Like this is literally the same thing that's happening over and over again where I'm looking at my body as an escape because it's this thing that I can change and I can control. And if I go become a yoga teacher, I'm going to be mostly asking for value from other women. Mm -hmm. And it was that realization that made me go, okay, I got to stop. Like I was still doing yoga, but I was like, I don't need to become a yoga teacher. So I took a year year off to freelance and work on the podcast and apply for graduate school so that I could go back and ask this question, what is going on? Why do I see this as my only route to value? 
And I'm hoping with the podcast that I answer this question. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I think, you know, that your experience is, is not uncommon. And, and and then I think there's like other layers to it as well, like other experiences, you know, there the this idea of becoming a quote unquote influencer or brand seems really palatable and I don't want to say easy, but it, it creates this fantasy, right? It's like, oh, well, I can just do my hobby as a job and, and then I'm going to make all this money and everything's going to just be amazing. And, and for, I would say like a lot of people, maybe the majority, it doesn't work out that way. But, uh, you know, my experience with leaving the workforce wasn't necessarily because of any kind of sexist behavior or anything like that. It was just me being so obsessed with nutrition, nutrition at the time and fitness and thinking, oh, I can make this into a job. You know, it was like the disorder becoming a job instead of just something I'm doing on the side. But as you said, it was also a coping mechanism to just escape from the, you know, the torture, which was, you know, kind of working in, in the environment where I just didn't feel alive, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so one of the episodes of the podcast, I actually talk about this book um, that changed my life. Uh, reading it, I realized I wasn't crazy because I had assumed that my nervous breakdown was because I'm just a, an awful entitled m- millennial who wants to be doing their passion project instead of, you know, instead of working an honest day and, you know, sucking it up like my parents did or, you know, whatever. And reading this book uh, by, (laughs) it's called Bullshit Jobs. And it's written by the, he's an anthropologist at the London School of Economics, David Graeber. And reading that book really changed my life. Because even when you are not working in an, uh, an actively hostile environment, the way that we have structured knowledge work to make you like the middle manager to the middle managers, how much of your day was spent? scrolling Twitter? How much of your day was spent twiddling your thumbs waiting for an email to come in? How much of your day was like having somebody say, you know what, there's no value into the thing that you're doing because nobody's going to see it anyway, right? How much of it is just like, you know, standing around by the water cooler talking about TV or the latest diet? We've basically created this environment where, where we're dependent on these, like literally like these bullshit jobs for the creation of value and we're supposed to be grateful for it. But there, you know, Graeber actually draws on like studies that show that when you take people's agency away from them, like you say, you have to be in the office, sit down, wait for an email and you sit there and nothing is happening and you start to feel like the walls are closing in. Right. Um, and so then you have to go do yoga or you have to go do burpees in the parking lot, which I've seen coworkers do. Or you know what I mean? Like you, you feel like you have to get out and be doing something productive when you have that agency taken away from you. It's, it's literally crazy making in the literal sense. It can actually affect your mental health. Yeah. I used to open my Excel file to update my macros. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. I wish I was joking. It gives you a sense of agency. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so, and it's interesting because the other thread that you talked about was turning your disorder into your business. So there's an episode about that as well. There's an episode about um, how people with eating disorders have a tendency to go into this field. Um, We have a tendency to like, 
start to obsess about it. So when you when you put all of these factors in, right, you have this like there's lack of agency. There's a sense of like I've got no purpose in my life, but I have to make money. You know, there's a sense of like wanting community and, and you know, I hate the word tribe, but marketing, that's what they use. Right. Wanting that and then finding it when you get online and you're sitting at work and you're in a Facebook group talking about your macros or your nutrition or your yoga or whatever, and suddenly feeling like you have an effect on people or updating your blog and having somebody comment. It's like there are so many reasons why this happens and so many different factors that play into it, not to mention that the way that economics, the the economic landscape is right now, um, where we see entrepreneurialism as this like be all end all sort of way of of existing. It's just like we are we are living in the perfect time for this to be a thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and one of the things I've noticed uh, having had a, a baby and being, you know, just around a lot of other moms, I've noticed that th- it happens a lot with moms. You know, they get into like some kind of MLM because the cost, the the cost, the cost of childcare is ridiculous, ridiculous for many people, and they can't afford to put their child in care, or they don't have the resources to be able to do that, as well as look after their child because it just requires so much time and <laughs> mental and emotional effort. And so that this opportunity comes along where they can potentially like, quote unquote, work from their phone to, to make an income. And it can seem really appealing because it's like, you know, what else am I going to do? There's no other opportunities. And I think it really comes down to, like you said, like loss of agency in that, you know, there's not enough resources set up to support mothers. There's not enough, you know, cost-effective childcare. A lot of things put us in that position where that looks like the best option. And for some people it is like, I don't fault anyone for going into that. I think, you know, we could definitely tear apart network marketing and MLMs, but I don't fault anyone for going into that, especially now kind of seeing like what it's like to be in a situation where you can't actually afford to kind of go back to the workforce and raise a child, like, which seems like a, like a, that doesn't make sense, but that's the way that it is. A hundred percent. And honestly, so I actually have two episodes on MLM in the podcast because I, I look at that as a case study for this larger theme. And my, my goal with the MLM episodes is not to like cast aspersions on anybody for doing it. Because like you said, I, I get it. I've considered it myself. I have felt trapped and wanted to get out. And there's a built-in business model and a built-in community. Are you kidding? Of course I'm going to sign up, right? And I, I did my best to talk to people who are currently in it and enjoying it in addition to the people who have gotten out. Because there's already podcasts about why it's bad. Go listen to The Dream. It's great. You know what I mean? My goal is to look at that as a case study for health coaching and and wellness entrepreneurialism in general. Because even though there is not necessarily a built-in model for any of this, there are a lot of people, moms included, but also, you know, people like me who who up until very recently were like, you know, single and and just trying to get out of my mom's house, um, living in the Bay Area, barely making it by. Right. We look at this 
you know, you go online, you look at Gary Vaynerchuk and then you look at Marie Forleo and then you sign up for the IIN, the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, or one of the similar, you know, health coaching things, or you, you, you go into like the paleo community and you see Diane Sanfilippo killing it, or, you know, you, you're in the vegan community and you're worshiping freely the banana girl or whatever. And you see that there is a path to success and there are six tricks that you can try the same way that if you were to go into MLM, there are like these six products that you can sell, right? That you see these, these images of people being successful and support networks already built in and you go, oh yeah, I could do that. What, what makes these normal people any different from me, right? And then you get sucked in. And when you do, you start to build your identity around this thing that you have been sucked into. I have a whole episode on identity economics, actually, if you're, <laughs> if you're interested, which is a, a very like niche branch of economics that I stumbled upon while doing research for this. But the idea is that, you know, when you start to pour money into your identity as an XYZ, and in our case, right, it's like health coach or nutrition person or, you know, yoga teacher or whatever, when you start to pour money into it, that takes on a different form of value in your life. Very few people like sunk cost, <laughs> right? Like nobody wants to say, I, I lost money. So you keep going. It's like um, playing slot machines, right? I, I've, seen, I've seen somebody win. I know it's a gamble. I know I'm not going to be the, like there, there's a very good chance I'm not going to be the winner, but like I'm the, I'm the hero of my own story. I've already put money in the slot machine. I might as well just keep playing. So I want to bring it back to kind of like the feminism is broken because I think a lot of people would see someone who leaves the workforce, goes out to start their own business, make their own living, you know, builds up a blog or a social media presence or a clientele or whatever it is, they would see that as being very empowering. And therefore, you know, that's, that would be considered very feminist. Tell me why that's broken or tell everyone why that's broken or why that doesn't jive up with real empowerment. Sure. So first of all, I hate the word empowerment. After <laughs> after doing this podcast, I like never yeah, I bet. It. ever ever ever. So empowerment, it's like that um the the gif from uh what's it called? The Princess Bride. It's it doesn't mean what you think it means, you know? So when we talk about empowerment, it's that's a, a word that has to do with social groups, right? Like we're looking at disadvantaged groups gaining power in a way that they have not had before, usually financial and political, often social. The way that we on the internet use it, it's about like individually, I feel good about myself. Ta-da, I'm empowered. The thing is, so, <laughs> and this gets into, I take like three episodes to explain this in the podcast. So uh, here's, here's a quick primer. So, all right. So we live in an economic system right now where the individual is prized above the collective. They call this term neoliberalism. So if you see that floating around the internet, I'm going to do my poor job of explaining it because I'm not a scholar of neoliberalism yet. I'm just a lay person who is really weird and does a lot of research on st- very deep economic stuff for fun. But essentially, the idea is that everything in neoliberalism is property of the market, okay? Uh, the market being the the private sector, right? There's nothing, the, the idea is that, you know, social services, social empowerment, that's all BS. Everybody is one unit of human capital, and we're all out to maximize our own value. And we look at ourselves in terms of our, our current value and our future value, right? So my current value is 
nothing compared to my future value when I am an empowered feminist lady boss, right? When I have started meditating and I bought enough uh, quartz and I have, you know, somehow gained a following doing headstands or whatever, right? So we're, we're all in competition with one another when everything is owned by the market. Every minute of our time is a minute of hustle, of work, right? Um, and any minute that we are not working, we are losing value um, because somebody else is out there accruing value. And so when we look at ourselves as entrepreneurs, as individuals set out to quote unquote empower the community, but in reality, get as much value as possible, gain as many likes as we can, grow our followings, get a lot of money. When we're doing that, whether or not we are helping people along the way, we're still bought into this economic system that doesn't want us to truly empower other groups. So I'm going to sound like a socialist weirdo right now because I am. Um, this test has made me one. But, you know, talking with a lot of feminist scholars has made me realize how far our feminism has become entrenched in this ideological economic system. So our feminism, this lady bossism, is not feminism per se. It is feminism styled in the manner of men. Okay. And what I mean by that is in a male patriarchal society, the one in which you and I were brought up, right, people who are men make the most money, right? People who are men are in const constant competition. That's the manly way to do things, right? And so when we style our feminism, the feminism of the 80s, right, where we, ha we have it all and we've got on the shoulder pads and we're mimicking men literally, um, we've, we've taken that and internalized it now so we don't need the shoulder pads anymore. But even if it's just women are winning versus men, it's still competition. It's still individualistic. And that isn't what feminism is about. Right. I talked to there. Sorry, real fast. And um, there's a, a professor at she was at USC and now she's at the London School of Economics, Sarah Benet Weiser. She said something that absolutely blew my mind. She said, you know, feminism isn't just like it's not like a, about equality and all of this stuff. Feminism is about value. It's about how women are valued in society. And in a neoliberal society, we're valued based on our bodies, based on our competition, based on our hustle. Our, we are human capital. And it's not about, you know, raising each other up. It's about who can win. Mm-hmm. And I, well, I was just going to say, it's really, it's really set up for, you know, thin, young, white women, really attractive, quote unquote. You know, that's that's where we see the people accruing the most value. But even the people who are not in that group are mimicking that group to try to enter that group. Yeah. So so it's it's one of those things where like I'm, I'm really struggling with the best way to phrase this. But I don't think that the word radical means what we think it means either. I think that a lot of people who are doing supposedly radical work on the Internet about dismantling X, Y, Z are not doing that. They're mimicking the groups that they're trying to dismantle in order to get to the same level. And I don't think that any of us are going to move past this this plateau that we've all hit until we can understand that the only way to move forward is to not not to dismantle in the manner of men, but rather to I mean, I, I don't know, I'm still learning all these things. This is why I'm going back to school. Right. It's I want to understand what are the alternatives to this? 
What are the alternatives to like dropping your PayPal link and saying, I, I, the individual have helped you, therefore pay me versus how do we actually create equality for, and, you know, equity for groups that have never experienced it before? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I was, my, my question was going to be, okay, like, what do we do with all this? Like, what, <laughs> what are we supposed to do with all this? Because it's just a lot to process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there's not really an answer. Or do you, you know, do you feel like you have you found any answers or any kind of directions or solutions that? Yes. So a little teaser. You know, there's a lot of really great work going on in London actually right now, in like England, where they are they are looking at more collective models. I will say that in America, at the very least, you know, we're we're not good at collective action. We're really good at individualistic, selfish, you know, me focused stuff. That's why that's why the Internet's so broken. We're the ones who uh, (laughs) had our had our hand in that. But I will say that when we start considering more collective ways of working, ways of of building work that is is equitable for everyone, that is when we're going to start finding solutions. There are no, like nobody's figured it out or we all would have heard about it by now, right? But we have to start with, first of all, awareness about how we're presenting ourselves to others on the internet and why we're choosing to do that, should we do that. But second of all, looking for different ways of creating and asking for value. And until we can do that, and I don't know if we ever will be able to, because in a globalized world this that has already so bought into neoliberalism, I don't know how we go backward from here. But in order to move forward in a different direction, it's going to take a lot of awareness on the part of as many people as possible, awareness and willingness to be wrong, to lose value, <laughs> right, to take a break, to slow down, to actually consider things, to not move fast and break things and <laughs> Facebook, um, but rather to look at one another, not as how much can I get from you, but rather what can I do to be a part of this group, to to help raise it up, to help, you know, to help change the way we, we fundamentally interact. So it's a lot. It's a lot. I know it's not like an easy answer, but I do hope with the podcast that I've been working on to at least get people asking these questions and to provide enough of a, um, a foundation for us as lay people, not as like academics behind a paywall, which is where a lot of this work is happening. But as lay people, how do we start participating in this conversation? My whole goal with going back to school is so that I can infiltrate the the, pay, the paywall and try to understand. Because honestly, had I had access to some of the stuff that I have had access to through this podcast, I think I would not have lost $20,000 trying to become a health coach. <laughs> you know, yeah. mm-hmm. I would have been working on solutions <laughs> instead. Yeah, it's really, uh, it's really interesting stuff. And I think it it's, it's for, for even myself. And I think most people, it's like really next level stuff to think, to even sort of think about this stuff. You know, I think most of us can kind of agree like, oh, people who sell weight loss are, you know, under the guise of empowerment. Like there's so many issues with that, but this is like taking it like a lot deeper and looking at the whole sort of 
uh, model of selling yourself and even people who, you know, like myself, who are coaching in a way that's actually helpful to, you know, individuals in society and trying to, you know, like, as you said, just dismantle diet culture in my case, but anything and still looking at that and saying, okay, but there's still like problems to that model overall. Not to say that like, I'm going to walk away and be like, okay, I'm out. Like that's wrong. But it's just really, yeah. Like you said, it's awareness of that first is the first step. And it is really interesting to, um, to see it and to just kind of like start to become more critical. I don't know if critical is the right word, but just asking questions, right? Like just seeing things through a different perspective and lens. Exactly. And, you know, I don't want to say that everyone who's a health coach is bad and everyone needs to stop doing this right now. That's not the that's not my goal. Right. I think in the future, if we were all not having to do this, that would be cool. But I do think that there is value in asking the question of what can we do differently? How can we create a future where our children don't have to do this? Right. How can we create you know, what kind of work should we be valuing? And is there a way for us to do this in a more collective systemic way as opposed to asking for individual value? Because, you know, like not everybody has the the reach and the voice that, you know, people like you have gotten to. And so for a lot of women, they look at the model that you've built and say, I can do that too. And then it just becomes noise, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and nobody moves forward and everyone loses value in the process, you know? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. I remember that billboard that said, I'm working hard now. So my future daughter doesn't have to sell detox tea on Instagram. Oh, uh, <laughs> seriously though, like, you know, yeah, <laughs> that's it's, really it's, the, the, the whole purpose. <laughs> Amen. That is like my whole goal is like I've already figured, you know, like, look, my my our generation, like we're all screwed. It's everything is broken. And if we can accept that now and just start working for the next generation, I think things are going to be a lot better. But if we continue in the individualistic mode of like, well, it's got to be better for me, too. I know it's not going to happen for me. You know, I graduated the year of the recession. Like I'm starting my career 10 years out of 15 years out of school, you know, like fine. But I just want to make the world a better place for whoever comes next, because I don't want my daughter selling detox tea on Instagram. That is exactly (laughs) it. (laughs) Exactly. So uh, we'll leave it there. Where can people find your body, your brand? So um, you can at me on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> please feel free. Tell me I'm wrong. I, I want to know. I, I'm learning. I'm open to learning. Um, so I'm at uh, Body Brand Pod. I'm also, uh, the website is bodybrandpod.com. And the podcast will drop on September 2nd. We run, uh, it's 15 uh, episodes. We're running through December 2nd. I'm also going to have a, a Patreon. So patreon.com slash bodybrandpod. And that is going to help me uh, pay for all the costs of creating season one and hopefully a seasons two, three and beyond. Um, and listeners are actually going to get the full interviews. So like, you know, you and how you and I did an interview, I was only able to use pieces of it because it's a documentary. So it didn't, you know, it's 40 hours of, of audio edited down to 15, but my, uh, people who subscribe get the extra episodes. So, um, well, that's definitely worth it for my interview right there. Yes. Oh, it was, it was fun. 
Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't even uh, remember what we talked about. It was so long ago. I remember parts of it, but <laughs> talked about um, Charles Poliquin and like oh I don't god, even... oh my yeah. goodness, oh wow, yeah, that actually might be worth it. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. but I know you interviewed some amazing people, so that 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 is actually quite enticing because yeah. um, to interview like Andy Zeisler and uh, right um, so many others <laughs> and, like that. Yeah. And Hank like come on I was just like how did this happen but um so I'm so excited about this podcast and then yeah I'm I'm on the internet so look me up I'll be there you know I'm, I'm on the internet till we figure out how we don't have to be so yes <laughs> beautiful well thank you so much for being here and be for being my first interview that I've done in a yeah. year or more. So that's pretty exciting. Oh, so excited. Thanks for having me. I think I still got it. I think I still, do you think I still have it? Like, do you think I can oh, still do uh, this? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks, Kyla. Rock on. That was a great interview, a great time chatting with Kyla and picking her brain more about what inspired her to do this podcast and all the issues that she found along the way with feminism and the coaching industry and things like that. Hopefully you'll take the time to listen to the podcast because she goes into a lot of depth with this stuff and interviews a lot of experts. And you can find links to that and everything mentioned in this episode at summerinandin.com forward slash one four nine, and I also just want to say thank you for listening to the first episode of the season, episode one forty eight. I got a lot of positive feedback on that, and there were a lot of downloads, and you know, just things that I didn't expect to happen because I'd been away for so long on maternity leave. So I just want to say thank you for still being here and still listening and still downloading the episodes and sending feedback and things like that. Um, I respond to all your messages, so if you ever want to get in touch, just send me a direct message on Facebook or. Instagram, unless you're trying to sell me something and then I may not have time to respond, but thank you anyways. Um, okay. I will be back in a couple of weeks with another new episode until then rock on. I'm Summer Inanin, and I want to thank you for listening today. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Summer Inanin. If you haven't yet, Go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this show. I would be so grateful. Until next time, rock on. Rock on.